John 14. The upper room discourse. Jesus' words to His disciples on that last night before His death, assuring them, comforting them, promising them that they're not being abandoned as orphans, but that with the sending of the Holy Spirit, they will have all the help that they need. And of course, that extends to us. John 14. We're going to begin reading at the end of verse 19 to pick up a thought, but we're going to be looking at verse 20 through 24. I'll go ahead and read down to verse 26 again just to keep the whole context together. Now, Father, open to us Your dear Word. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, minds that are captivated by Your truth. Take away our distracting thoughts. Take away anything, Lord, ban the enemy from stealing the kernels of this Word that they may be deeply implanted in well-prepared hearts to bring about a fruit of righteousness. For Christ we pray. Amen. Because I live, you also will live, Jesus says, verse 20. He continues, And in that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him. And we will come to Him and make our home with Him. Whoever does not love Me does not keep My words. And the word that you hear is not Mine, but the Father's who sent Me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. This is the Word of the Lord. Subject this morning is Christ's promise to the Christian of deep and ongoing fellowship with Himself and with the Father through the indwelling Holy Spirit. Because the goal of Christ's salvation is not just to keep us out of hell, as wonderful as that is. The goal is to bring the people to Himself. That we might know Him and love Him and walk with Him all our days on this earth into an endless eternity of ever-increasing joy in His presence. Sinclair Ferguson has said that the Christian life is nothing less than fellowship with God the Trinity leading to the full assurance of faith. And I think he's quoting John Owen there, but you get the point. This is what salvation is. And that truth of fellowship with God is what reverberates throughout this passage, not just as something that we anticipate enjoying in the far-flung future, but as something that begins for us now as disciples through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And so as we return to this passage where Jesus is preparing His disciples for His departure, remember that they don't understand why He's leaving them. It doesn't make sense to them. It's, in fact, unsettled them. And so as He reassures them 
That He's leaving, yes, but that He's not abandoning them, verse 18. He reminds them that in His place, He is sending the Holy Spirit to continue with them and to bring them an ongoing experience of fellowship with the Father and the Son. This is what we want to look at. Christian, you and I can know real fellowship with God now in our Christian lives. That's what's being promised here. So let's begin with Jesus' promise here to believers of a continuing relationship with Himself, a continuing relationship with Christ. Verse 20, we read, In that day, and in context last time we saw that He's talking about post-resurrection, sending of the Holy Spirit, the coming of the Spirit upon the church at Pentecost. In that day, you will know that I am in My Father, and you in Me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now do you hear the language of relationship there? You in me and I in you. You'll be loved by my Father, and I will love you, and I will manifest myself to you. Remember who this promise is being given to. To whom is this promise given? It's given to those who love Christ and who keep His commandments, verse 21 says. In other words, to disciples. So friend, do you love Christ? That's a very important question for you to consider. Because love for Christ is one of the primary proofs that indeed you are His disciple. We love Him because He first loved us and gave Himself for us. 1 John 4 says, so that just as a mirror reflects the light shined into it, so our hearts reflect the love poured into them by Christ. He loves first and the response of our hearts is we love Him in response. So again, what is the proof? That we love Christ? From our hearts, we will obey Christ. Do you remember that's from last time? Verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And again, remember, when you read that, that's not a legalistic command. He's not saying to you, well, you better start obeying me now so that I know you love me. It's a statement, a wonderful statement of gracious fact. Those who love Christ by faith will indeed live to obey Him. And so notice, he said that back in verse 15. Now here again in verse 21, he's repeating that. So here we're we're seeing an emphasis. Christ is saying the same thing to us again to make sure we understand. Whoever has my commandments, verse 21, and keeps them, he it is who loves me. So so he's emphasizing this for us. Who is the disciple to whom I give the promise of my presence? It's this one. It's this one. It's the one who loves me. And because he loves me, he he cherishes my word. He, He treasures my commands as good things that I'm given for the blessing of his soul. She uh, seeks to live by these commands daily. This is the one to whom I give this promise. Is that you this morning? Is that you? Love for Christ like a magnet draws the disciple to Jesus with a new heart full of a new desire to know Him. 
And, and so these two disciples, those who love Christ and seek to walk with Him by grace through faith, it is to disciples Jesus gives this wonderful promise in verse 21. Let's read it again right at the end. He says, And he who loves me, that's a disciple, will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now, do you see the wonder of this promise? In fact, notice there are really two promises here. Uh, I've called this a, a twofold, a rich twofold promise for us to take hold of as believers in Christ. A rich twofold promise. Promise one, you will know God's love personally. Uh, you will be loved by my Father. You will know that He loves you. You'll, you'll see it. You'll believe it. You'll live in the midst of that love. We'll come back to that. But second, promise, and you will experience my presence truly. Jesus says, and I will manifest myself to you. Manifest. Now what does that mean? Manifest. That's kind of an old-fashioned word. I doubt you use it unless you're into shipping when it means something entirely different. Some of your translations, to, to try to make this a little more clearly, say things like this. That instead of manifest, they'll say, He will disclose Himself. Or He will reveal Himself. Or He will show Himself. It's a word in the original that, that pictures uh, something that is not clearly seen, but now becomes visible. It becomes, it becomes knowable to the senses. In the Greek Old Testament... Uh, this word is used sometimes when God manifests His presence to someone. Um, like Moses, for instance. God was there on the mountain all along. But Moses couldn't see Him. His senses could not perceive Him until God made His presence knowable in the burning bush. Here Jesus says He will make His presence knowable to us through His indwelling Holy Spirit. I will manifest Myself. Now, Jesus Himself did that visibly and physically for those first disciples, did He not? When He rose from the dead triumphantly, stood before them in real physical resurrection, glory, right before their eyes. They ate with Him. They touched Him. As John says, they knew that it was Him. They knew He was really there. He was manifest before them. But here and now, beyond that initial manifestation of His glory and His resurrection body, Jesus is telling us that He will continue to make His manifest presence known to us who are His disciples now through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Do you remember He said that last week to us? Verse 16 and 17, He says, And as I return to the Father, He says, I will ask the Father... And He will give you another helper, another one to stand there right with you and to encourage you and to help you. And He will be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world can't receive because it neither sees Him or knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and He will be in you. This is the promise of God's presence with us through the Holy Spirit. And so what I want you to see at this point is Jesus here promises to make Himself and His real presence known to you who are His disciples, to those who love Him and who are walking with Him according to His Word. Read verse 21 again. It's just sometimes good to go over these things. And 
He who loves me, that is a disciple, will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now, I want to make sure you see this for what it is. This is a precious gift that Christ is promising here. This is the precious gift of ongoing fellowship with God through Christ. This is what Jesus is promising that believers will have. Now, the disciples didn't understand that in that moment. In fact, one of them, Judas, whom we've not heard from before this point, speaks up in response to Jesus' promise. Verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot. I love the way John wants to make sure we don't get lost here with the same name. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Well, Lord, how is it that you're going to manifest yourself to us, but but, but not to the world? Um, Who is this Judas? Again, he's not Judas Iscariot, right? You're keeping drag. Judas is gone, off into the night, uh, possessed now by Satan, heading ultimately for his doom. He's gone, but this is a different Judas. Uh, Another man with the same name. We're told in Luke 6 that he's Judas, the son of James. Uh, He's also known by his nickname in places like Matthew 10, uh, where he is called Thaddeus. This Judas speaks up with a question. Because... What Jesus just said about manifesting Himself to them only just doesn't make sense to Him. Why just us, Lord? Judas is saying. Why not show Yourself to the whole world? Why not manifest Your glory? I mean, that's what we're hoping for. If you remember, that is what they were hoping for. The uh, first century Jews, and these disciples were first century Jews, assumed this was the next thing on the prophetic calendar. Many in that day, perhaps most, were expecting an immediate, visible appearing of the Messiah in glory to come, defeat their enemies, and establish an earthly kingdom. They even used this same word, manifest, to describe that sudden appearance of the all-conquering king. And so they were looking for a a, a second coming kind of thing to occur, a broad-spectrum theophany of divine judgment. But Jesus has just promised them something very different. A personal, intimate communion with Him by His direct presence indwelling them by the Holy Spirit. And He's promised that it will only be for them. And Judas wants to know why. Why just us, Lord? Why not the whole world? And so everything that follows here in verse 23 and 24 that we're about to dig into is Jesus' answer to that question. You need to keep that in mind. He's answering Judas's question. Why are you just revealing yourself to us? Or if we put it another way, Jesus, what exactly are you promising us here? Which brings us to this next thing, and that is to see that the promise to believers here is a promise of real fellowship with God as we walk daily with Christ. Verse 23, Jesus answered him. See, he's answering Judas's question. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. And so when Jesus talks about manifesting himself here, he's not talking about that end times final manifestation of judgment. Now, notice he's not denying that such a day is going to come. And elsewhere in the Gospel, He makes it very clear such a day is coming one day at the end of all things when the Son of Man comes in His glorious power and gathers the nations before Him as a sheep separates the sheep from the goats. That's not what He's talking about here. Here He is talking about 
the promise to believers that we will experience in our new lives in Him personal, life-sustaining communion with God in Christ through the Holy Spirit. So let's think about this and how precious it is. So again, notice, just to keep us straight, He repeats again who this promise is for. He wants to make sure we get this. It's those for those who love Me and keep My Word. So again, this is a promise for disciples. For those who love Christ and keep His Word. Okay, but which disciples? Which disciples does Jesus give this promise to? Do you see it in verse 23? All of them. If anyone keeps My Word, etc. Don't rush past that little word, anyone, too quickly. Because here, this word gives hope to every believer. If you're in Christ, this is here to give you hope. So while the promise that He gives here is true only for disciples, to those who love Christ and keep His Word, it is just as true that this is a promise to every disciple. If anyone, if any one of you, my people, defined by those who love Me and keep My Word, This is my promise to you. Now, what does that mean? It means this is a promise not for super saints. This is a promise not only for the really good Christians who've got it all together and never struggle with things. We're talking about a promise given to plain old everyday saints, common believers like you and me, who sometimes fail to live up to all that we know about Christ and believe about Christ, but you love Him and you are seeking to walk with Him. If you love Christ and are seeking to walk with Him by faith, you are promised this gift of fellowship with God. And listen, this is one of Christ's greatest gifts to His people. William Abrockle, one of those Puritans, said God Himself is there, speaking of believers, God Himself is their portion and complete joy. All salvation, comfort, delight, holiness, and felicity for the soul is to be found in having fellowship with God. Such fellowship with God is heaven itself. That brings us then back to the twofold promise. So important is it, not only did Jesus mention it back in verse 21, but Jesus brings us back to that twofold promise here in verse 23. If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word, and what's going to happen? My Father will love Him and we will come to Him and make our home with Him. He promises we will know God's love personally and second, that we will experience Christ's presence truly. Now let's look at these. First, He gives the assurance that we who are in Christ, walking with Him by faith, He gives the assurance that we will know God's love. Now what a confidence that is living in the midst of this hate-filled world to know that you were loved by God. Well, well, how can you know that you are loved by God? Because Jesus tells you you are loved by God. John 16.27, The Father Himself loves you, speaking to believers, because you have loved Me and have believed that I came from God. So this knowledge of God's love here is more than just reasoning within yourself. You know, well, God loves everybody, so surely He must love me also. No, no, this is something that is very personal. This, this knowing of God's love is knowing in a personal way as His elect child that you are enfolded in His arms of love. 
Paul starts Ephesians with that thought. Ephesians 1.5 says, In love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. The purpose of His will is to have you enfolded in His arms of love, secure, knowing Him, walking with Him, growing with Him. These are precious promises that are, that, that are meant to be more than just doctrines that we believe. This, this is meant to be a reality that you as a believer are experiencing. Very much like Psalm 34 verse 8 where it says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste, taste. You know, that's, that's an experience. I don't look at honey and surmise that it must be sweet. I taste it. I experience its sweetness. Likewise, we who are in Christ are promised an experiential knowledge, an experiential encounter of God's love in Christ. In fact, we just read it this morning. Paul prays that very thing, that we will know this love as a part of our living experience with Christ. I'll just read it again because it's good. He says, I pray, this is Ephesians 3.16, I pray that according to the riches of His glory, that He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Same thing we're seeing here. That you being rooted and grounded in His love, may have strength to comprehend. You see how experiential that is. To comprehend, to know deeply with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's what Christ brings to us through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. This is a, this is a real experience of His love. Romans 5, verse 5. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. And, and so, so that experience of His love gives us a confidence in the face of this world's hostility, knowing that we are His, knowing that He will never leave us or forsake us. Do you know this love? Where do you get the knowledge of this love. Well, you lean into Christ's promise for it. You go to the Gospel. You believe what He says. You let Him fill you with the assurance that His Word is true. You let Him show Himself to you. And that brings us into the second part of this twofold promise. Not only an assurance of God's love in an experiential way, but also the assurance that His indwelling presence gives us a genuine, abiding fellowship with Him. The end of verse 23, He comes to that. He says, And we, meaning the Father and the Son, we will come to Him, the believer, and make our home with Him. That, this promise is vast. In fact, this promise is so very vast that you're going to be tempted not to believe it. And friend, believe it you must. Because this really is the foundation of a deep, soul-satisfying emptiness, I mean emptiness, new fullness, <laughs> intimacy with God in Christ, securing you, leading to holiness, leading to confidence, all those things. I mean, listen to what Jesus says. He says, we, meaning the Father and the Son, 
will come and make our home with you. Now, can you can you grasp the vastness of this promise? I mean, the preciousness of it? Uh, Frank Laubach says, just the privilege of fellowship with God is infinitely more than anything that God could give. When He gives Himself, He is giving more than anything else in the universe. And this is something the Old Testament saints longed for. Uh, that God would come and dwell among His people. We see this uh, throughout the Old Testament. Uh, this, this promise was in fact symbolized by the tabernacle itself. Exodus 29.45, God says, Build the tabernacle so that I will dwell among my people and be their God. Leviticus 26. He says, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you and will be your God, and you will be my people. This is a big deal. This is what Adam lost in the garden through sin. Personal fellowship with God lost in the garden is being restored in Christ. It's what God promises. Ezekiel chapter 37 verse 26 as Ezekiel looks to the fulfillment of these promises through salvation in Christ. God says through him, I will make a covenant of peace. There's the salvation. With them. I, it will be an everlasting covenant with them. Verse 27, My dwelling place shall be with them and I will be their God. And they will be my people. This is the ultimate goal of our salvation. To live forever in the presence of God. To be able to enjoy His blessed nearness. Uh, Jason uh, preached about this just a few weeks ago in the, in the beatific vision. Seeing Christ face to face. How, how, how one day uh, our goal will be to see Christ face to face. To enjoy His presence forever and ever and ever. John speaks of that day in Revelation 21, 3 and 4. And he says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. That's what we're looking forward to ultimately. But look, look, look. That's also what Christ is promising us a taste of here and now. What Christ is promising us here is that this reality of God dwelling with His people, fellowshipping with them, communing with them, communicating His, his love to them in real terms, uh, that 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 coming reality is already flooding into our lives through the indwelling Holy Spirit. That reality that we look forward to has its beginning now as Christ comes to dwell in our hearts through faith. Uh, Richard Phillips in his commentary says, In this way, both God and His people begin now to a communion of love that anticipates the glorious communion that He has prepared for eternity. The chief blessing that God can give is Himself and the purpose of our redemption is that we might be, He might be glorified in us as we enjoy communion with Him by the Spirit and through the Word of God as it indwells our hearts. 
Well, this is the promise we see in verse 23. And I will come to him and make, we will come to him and make our home with him. Our home with him. Look at that word home. We will make our home with them. Home is a place of communion. Home is the place when it's, when it's what it should be and what it, what it is designed to be. It's a place where those who love one another draw near to each other. We will make our home among them. By the way, you've seen this word before in this passage already, though you may not have recognized it. Back in chapter 14, verse 2, when Jesus makes that initial promise of what He's preparing, He says, "...in My Father's house are many rooms that I'm going to prepare for you." That word room is the same word home. The word monet. It means a dwelling place, a permanent place to dwell and be secure and be loved. What's the point? The point is we have been promised a final dwelling place in communion with God for all eternity. That's verse 2. But here, in addition, we see verse 23 that we don't have to wait for eternity to begin experiencing this communion. This life of dwelling with God, knowing and enjoying His presence, communing with Him in a real and personal way begins now through the indwelling presence of God the Holy Spirit in our lives. We, Jesus says, the Father and the Son, by means of the Spirit, will dwell in the life of the believer in a way that can be known. Do you see that here? And again, this, this is a promise that we can have real intimacy and fellowship with God daily through Christ. What Adam and Eve lost in the garden is being restored through us through faith in Christ. Puritan Henry Skugel called this the life of God in the soul of a man. Everything we need to have real fellowship with God is provided for us through the indwelling Christ. Now, if that's true... And it is. Then what kind of people ought we to be? If we truly are indwelt by the presence of God, assured of His love, filled with His holy nearness, and promised the help of the Holy Spirit, how should that change our lives as we continue to walk with Christ day by day? Again, this is a big deal. And it should be a big deal to us. J.I. Packer says, whereas whereas for the Puritans, communion with God was a great thing, to many evangelicals today it is a comparatively small thing. Not something we think about. Again, Paris Reedhead, most Christians do not have fellowship with God. They have fellowship with each other about God. Is this something that is a regular part of your life? And by that I mean daily communion with Christ. But where do you begin to have this communion? You begin with His promises. You draw near to Him based on His promise to meet with you and to give Himself to you in that place of secret communion, that place of prayer, that place of the Word. You go to Him where He has promised to meet you. If a friend says to me, Hey Scott, I will meet you at Starbucks at a certain time. I go to Starbucks expecting to find Him there. Christ has promised to meet with us in His Word and prayer and in times of worship. And so I go to Him there. 
Right? You, you say to yourself, you know, Christ promises to fellowship with me, so I will go to Him. I will take up His Word and listen where He speaks. I will draw near through prayer and make my needs known. I will go to Him in the place of worship to, to adore His presence. I will listen to what He says that I may know Him. You go to Him. Now, you don't go to Him looking for the experience itself. That's not the point. You go looking for Him by faith. You're not seeking a feeling. You're seeking Christ. And you're trusting Christ to meet with you just as He has promised. And it's in that place of meeting with Him that you begin to experience the reality of His presence as He draws near to make Himself known. Now, He'll show up suddenly in other places as well. And isn't that sweet? The crushing blow of, of, of suffering falls upon you and, and suddenly you're in that place of, of crying and, 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 and pain and darkness and suddenly Christ comes. But we have this, 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 this pattern of drawing near to Him. Again, not seeking the experience, but seeking Christ by faith. You're trusting Him to make Himself known as He draws you in a deeper relationship of love and obedience. That brings us to the last thing here. By the way, I should have warned you, this clock broke and we took it away. So, But, but I've, I've got to watch. The third thing, it is only in loving obedience to Christ by faith that we come to know and experience His presence. Verse 24 has a warning for us. In contrast to those who love me and walk with me by faith, who given these promises, he says, but whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. All of these promises of life and communion with Christ are given only to those who are his disciples, who walk with him in a growing obedience of love. Because again, that's the mark of a disciple. You will love me and keep my commands. You will keep my word. And through that word, your life will be more and more oriented to me, listening to me, doing what I say. That's the man or woman who will gain a real assurance of lifelong growing fellowship with Christ. But, verse 24, to those who are not His disciples, to those who don't keep His word, they can never enter this kind of a fellowship. Isn't that what the word, isn't that what the verse is saying? A lack of love for Christ results in the rejection of His Word, which is the very means by which we know Him and, and, and draw near to Him. Verse 24, whoever does not love Me does not keep My words. That's their character. And the word that you hear is not Mine, but the Father's who sent Me. So, so here is the answer to Judas's question. Why not the world? Why not the world? Because the world in rejecting Christ's Word cannot possibly know Christ. Listen, don't fool yourself. There are many today who say, I belong to Jesus, I love Jesus, I just don't like the Bible. I want the things that Jesus has to offer, you know, salvation, eternal life, peace, joy, love, all of that I want it, but I, I don't want to submit to His Word especially those parts that are embarrassing today, those parts that are out of step with the culture and get you, get, you, know, get you canceled out there. Can't I just have Jesus call myself a Christian but leave all that other stuff on the shelf, you know, unhitch from the parts of the Bible I don't like, as one supposed evangelical preacher said? 
Well, the short answer to that question by Christ is no. In fact, Jesus told a parable in Luke 6 to make that very clear. I just turn there quickly. We're drawing near an end, but this is too important not to see. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Jesus says to those listening, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? There's the first thing. You can't call me Lord and refuse to do what I say. They kind of go together. Uh, no Lord is an oxymoron. It doesn't work. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Verse 47, Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I'll show you what he is like. He is like the man building a house who dug down deep. See, here's that laying of that inward foundation upon the presence of Christ promised through the Gospel. Who dug down deep and laid a foundation on the rock. The rock, that's Christ present with the believer. And when the flood arose and the streams broke against that house... It could not be shaken because it was built upon that rock of the inward indwelling presence of Christ. The truth of Christ revealed in His Word, internalized into the life. Verse 49, But the one who hears and does not do these words is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. He's not dug down deep. There is no inward communion through the Gospel and faith in Christ. There is only what I've brought myself And when the stream rose against that house, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was very great. What is the difference between these? That first man is a genuine disciple. He built his life on the presence of Christ. Because he loves Christ, he took his word to heart and he let that word shape his life and found him upon the presence of Christ. And now his life is securely founded upon Christ himself and the storm comes and he stands fast. The other man is a false believer, a make-believer. He heard Christ's word. Perhaps he'd come to church, but it didn't sink in. It doesn't shape his life. So that he's built without a foundation in the presence of God through the gospel. And when the floods of judgment fall upon him, all is lost. Well, do you see, that's exactly the same thing Jesus is saying here in John 14. The one who is not my disciple and does not love me refuses my word and it is by my word that I am imparting the knowledge of my presence. By the way, it's not just Christ's word, he says. Notice this, we won't go into it, but these are the very words of God my Father. These are the words the one who sent me, sent me to bring and in flesh and make known. This is the very truth of the universe without which all is lost. And so what is a disciple? A disciple is a man or woman who anchors their life on the Word of God and they call Christ Lord and mean it. (laughs) Matthew 7, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. This Word has come in. It's brought life. It's begun to shape the life. The key to heaven and assurance of life are anchored in a living gospel relationship with Christ. Rooted in the Gospel. He first loved us and gave Himself for us. He came and opened our hearts to believe. 
Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you are saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one may boast. This is the gospel. This is the promise and fruit of the gospel. We don't earn salvation by our obedience, but oh, obedience to Christ follows hard on the heels of our salvation. Right As James says in James 2.18, I will show you my faith by my works, by my life of loving, obedient response to Christ. You, you'll see it in, in the things I do, in the priorities I make. And by the way, what is the very first of those works we begin to do when saved by grace through faith? The very first of those works is going to be following faith, having regular fellowship with God through Christ. You see, it all starts there for the Christian. At the heart of our salvation is the promise of real communion with God. We get to know Him. We get to walk with Him. And the more we know and walk with Him by faith, the more our lives become shaped by His presence. This is the gift Jesus is talking about here. The gift of real assurance in God's love because there is an ongoing communion with God through Christ. The Holy Spirit brings us into a life with God and God in us drawing near through faith so that more and more He is the most central and precious reality of our lives. And this is a precious gift for believers. This is something that gives us an assurance in the midst of this world that we cultivate daily as we walk with Him. Very obviously, I'm advocating that you have some kind of daily encounter with the presence of God through His Word and prayer. Not in legalism, not hoping to barter with Him, but as a response of the believing heart that longs for Him, needs Him, walks with Him, desires Him, and knows that the greatest good of your life, as David said, my greatest good is to know be, to be near you, that you are drawing near. That's what gives us this assurance. Do you have this assurance? Where does it come from? comes by faith, turning to Christ and surrendering all to Him. It comes when you know that He is Lord and you're not. And so with a heart of love, you are ready to trust and obey Him. And God, through that relationship, gives you this assurance and brings His presence into your life by grace so that you are enabled to grow in fellowship with Him and to learn what it means to walk with Him day after day. This is what we are being called to. This is the joy. This is the the, the, the white-hot center of our life as believers. Fellowship, communion with Christ. Now, Lord willing, next week we'll pick up there because that's about half of what I wanted to do today. And we'll look, we'll look further at this assurance that is ours by faith in Christ's Word and how the Holy Spirit gives us great confidence that God's Word is completely true and absolutely reliable to bring us to God and how Christ, through His indwelling Spirit, gives us real peace in the midst of this world's chaos. In fact, I'll close with that verse. That's verse 27. Just a preview. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Why not? Because you've dug deep and founded your life upon the living presence of Christ given you by the Gospel. Lord, I look back over this past week and... Lord, with great joy, I can confess that there were times I was very aware of Your presence. You spoke through Your Word. 
as you made yourself known, as you met with me in prayer. But Father, to be totally honest before these people that I love, I have to also confess that there were times that your presence felt very distant and that I walked as a brute, ignorant beast, unmindful of you. I don't know for how long, but it comes, Lord, hours at a time. If I'm not careful, days at a time, I'm yours. Don't cease to be yours. But I get caught up with, with things and forget your precious promise. Oh God, the men and women in this room suffer the same affliction. Would you help us to come back again and again to that precious promised presence, to know that you are with us, that you've never forsaken us, to know that you have offered us everything we need to walk with you in a living, enduring relationship of grace. Would you grant that? And Lord, for the one who's never known that because they've never known you, because they've never submitted to the word of your gospel, that you would give even now the grace to repent, to turn from sin and self-centered living and to embrace Christ as Lord alone for life And to begin entering into this promise of sweet fellowship. God, a fellowship that begins with the believer and Christ then extends with believer to believer forever and ever with Christ. Lord, would you cause that reality to burn through our lives, removing the chaff and making us more and more evidently yours for your sake and your kingdom we ask. Amen.